This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we're going into the deep woods, the very, very, very deep woods. And yet at the same time, we might be just going into your own backyard because we're talking about Bigfoot with two documentary filmmakers, Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger, who have made a wonderful documentary uh, called A Flash of Beauty. And we'll find out from them in just a few minutes why they titled it A Flash of Beauty. Toby Johnson is the author of the Owl Moon Lab books. He's a researcher into all things related to Bigfoot. He is, in fact, a Bigfoot fanatic, as you would think. Uh, And Brett, both are. Brett's an award-winning filmmaker. He's 20 years of experience working in the film and video production industry. Uh, He's worked on feature films like Light of Mine and Pretty Broken, commercial short films, all kinds of things. Uh, He is most at home in the outdoors of the Pacific Northwest as a native Oregonian He's been intrigued by Bigfoot since he was a kid. Gentlemen, welcome to Dreamland. Thank you for having us, Whitley. Great to be well, here, Whitley Strieber. Yeah, thank you for coming. Uh, and you can learn more about uh, their documentary on BigfootDoc.com. Let's start talking about A Flash of Beauty. And I, I, I promised my viewers and listeners that I would ask you first off why you titled it that because it's an unusual title for a show about Bigfoot. So the title came to us from an interview um, that we did with a a gentleman by the name of Stan Avery and Stan's actually he's a plumber down in um, on the southern Oregon coast he's kind of a confidant to a lot of folks down there that just kind of need an outlet um, you know, with their Bigfoot stories. So during the interview, Stan talks about how the typical Bigfoot encounter is like a flash of beauty. You see them and then they're gone. And there was something about that that really resonated with me. I felt like, um, you know, there there is much more to these beings than what the general public thinks. You know, the general public is kind of like, well, you know, they're a sticker you put on the back of your car. They're a pop icon to a certain extent, and they're also, um, or they could also be monsters, you know, these mythical monsters. And that's really not the case. It's, well, yeah, you know, one does think in terms of mythical monsters when you're looking at a, an eight-foot-tall ape, which by all res- reports smells rather rather nasty. And, uh, I mean, is big and not supposed to be there, and yet there it is. You know, uh, some of the some of the witnesses in the, you got. Did you get every Bigfoot witness that's now alive in this show? Because you've got so many Bigfoot witnesses, it's fabulous. We 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 are just scratching the surface, Whitley, and and we believe that um, there is a. You know, we talk about the psych. We have a psychologist that talks about how there might be a massive amount of society that have seen these things and they've just suppressed them in their memories because of the fear that they, they had when they saw them, the fact that they couldn't rationalize what they were seeing. So we're just scratching the surface. You know, I once sat across a table at dinner from a man who 
proceeded to tell me what I think is the most extraordinary Bigfoot story I've ever heard. And I said, come on my show. We'll do this again. He said, oh, no, no, I don't want to. I would not go out in public with this. And I said, we won't even say your name. Yeah. We won't show your picture. No, no. He said, absolutely not. And the thing that was so amazing about this story, and this is true of some of the cases in your documentary too, is that the people living in the area where this man's experience occurred were used to Bigfoot. Bigfoot was part of their lives. Can I mean not not I mean not in the sense of sitting down with them at the dinner table, but you know, around a lot. Can you one of you and I don't know which you just speak up, whichever one wants to talk. Tell us about some of the stories of people who are just sort of living with Bigfoot. Well, I'll take that one. And then, uh, Brett, you want to chime in? Um, Whitley, I got involved with this uh, phenomena back in the mid-2000s when my son and I stumbled on a single footprint, which we suspected was a hoax. But what we found out um, is that it's not always a hoax. These tracks are sometimes legitimate, and legitimate phenomena leaves them. That got uh, the kid in me um, awoken big time, and I ended up seeking out every witness I could, either by putting them in conferences or sitting down with them over a coffee. And I quickly came to realize that there are two types of witnesses, those who have the flesh and blood encounters that are generally very brief, and then these Sasquatch contactees or extended experiencers of Bigfoot. And their claims are extraordinary. They claim that not only do they have contact with Sasquatch, but they come to their house. Generally, they live in a rural circumstance where Sasquatch will come generally towards the evening or morning hour and leave these extraordinary gifts, um, leave these extraordinary examples of communication and stick forms, and very reminiscent of things I've heard alien contactees talk about where there is this almost relationship between certain entities or beings. And I kind of had to make a decision over this five-year hiatus with what kind of research I was going to do. So I fell uh, headlong down into the rabbit hole of seeking out these extended experiencers or Sasquatch contactees and found out that their claims are true. And how do I know they're true? Well, I myself am now one. And that's when Brett uh, reached out to me and Jill um, Remensnyder. And that's how I got involved with this uh, production. And now they're um, falling down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so it's been an interesting couple of years. I mean, the production of this has been over COVID. So we've had a lot of time to think about how to do this documentary because there hasn't been much else to do. But um, it's been incredible getting to know all these other witnesses and working alongside with them. But yeah, there's a lot more to uh, the Al Moon story, as you mentioned earlier, and we can get into that later if we have time. Well, um, yeah, you just said, you said so much. I want to, you've become a Bigfoot witness was the biggest thing you said. We can't leave that behind a minute. We got to know what, you, what happened to make you a Bigfoot witness. Well, what's better than being a witness is not seeking out to be a witness because it almost gets in the way of pursuit of communication. So you kind of have to think about this kind of like in a Tai Chi sort of way where you're just kind of becoming one with the phenomena and saying, okay, I believe it exists. Now I just kind of want to lean back and let the phenomena 
come to me. I learned that through the author, Tom Powell. He said, you know, don't go chasing after him. Just sit back and let the phenomena come to you. So um, in short, there was a ranch house in the small town of Cottage Grove, Oregon, where a recent retiree basically said, I think there's phenomena at my house. I know you're a researcher 30 Mm -hmm. minutes away. Do you want to move in and do the Jane Goodall approach? Only, you know, this place is bonkers. It's not just you know, monkeys walking around my property. We got a lot of other phenomena. And I had to uh, approach this almost the same position that the people at Skinwalker Ranch did, that this was a window area where the phenomena would have presented itself with Bigfoot kind of as the base layer. And yes, we are all witnesses of one sort or another, but there are all these other layers where the phenomena came in from the sky, it came in through poltergeist, it came in through strange lights, it came in through Uh, animal mutilation. So all that other stuff uh, we're saving for part two of this documentary uh, that's under production now. But um, we broached the subject um, towards the end of chapter one. Yeah, and it's a huge subject because uh, there's something very weird going on here. Very weird. Mm. It's more than just a a, a very clever species of of uh, hominid. I don't say ape. I'm saying hominid. And folks, I'll ask them, and they will tell you why I would say that, because I've learned something from their documentary is why. But in any case, it's more than that. But before we go on, uh, tell us why you know this is a hominid of some kind, even if it has an array of paranormal and poltergeist-like activity around it. Uh, Why why do we now know this is a hominid? In the human line, in other words, not in the primate line, ape line. I'll I'll tackle that for a second there, Whitley. So part of the reason why we know it's a hominid is because of the the analysis that's been done to the Patterson-Gimlin film. And um, we talk about this in in the documentary. Dr. Meldrum talks about this. Henry Franzoni talks about this. And what's really cool is the fact that they shot this movie in 16 millimeter film and 16 millimeter film is very high quality. So it would be the equivalent of having a high definition camera in the 1960s recording this. And in other words, what we're able to do now with technology is we're able to get a really good, clear 4K scan so that we can start really analyzing this footage. And we're seeing things that we've never seen before. And some of those things that we're seeing puts this into more of a hominid category than it does an ape category. You know, the initial knee-jerk reaction is that it's an ape because it looks kind of like an ape. But, you know, the truth of the matter is humans are apes. So I suppose you could say it's an ape, but in, in all actuality, you know, the descriptions of it by, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of eyewitnesses are that it's more human-like. You know, we've got hunters looking through the sights of their guns getting ready to shoot this thing. And they can't squeeze the trigger because it looks too much and feels too much like a human. So um, it's just, it's one experience after another. But the proof, in my opinion, and the evidence for the existence of Bigfoot is right there in the Patterson-Gimlin film. Now, you, you mentioned uh, in passing there, you've had people, many people have had these things in their gun sights. Now, I know people who would shoot a human in a heartbeat. So I have to ask, uh, why hasn't one ever been shot or has that happened and we don't know about it? 
it's happened. It's happened. And I think it's happened more than we do know about it. Um, there's a story about a, um, a guy that shot one in Northern California. Um, and apparently he was enumerated. He came across one. He also came across the, uh, a child, a juvenile Bigfoot. He shot them both. And when he came back to get them with the truck and his buddies, the bodies were gone. Um, but that's been a pretty, which pretty much verified that that that's happened. Um, I know some folks that know this guy. Um, I was down in Bluff Creek, uh, where the Patterson Gimlin footage was taken about a month ago, and and I was with a gentleman that knew him, and had heard the story firsthand from him. So it has happened. Um, and I also want to stress too, this is a perfect time for this, is that. You know, there's a lot of these things that people question, you know, why, why do we have photographs of them? Why don't we have bodies and stuff like that? And, you know, there's some pretty reputable people out there that have some extremely strong evidence that the media is just ignoring. And, and therefore, people just don't know about it. But it's out there. You know, that gets me to the question of the media and why in the world is there all of this unbelievably intense denial about this? You can't get this on CBS News. You couldn't get it on CBS News if you had a Bigfoot staring you in the face in high def, I don't think. Why not? What is going on here? Um, I'll tackle that real quick as well. I, you know, I think there's a, a variety of reasons for it. I, one, of the, one of the biggest reasons, in my opinion, we cover this in the documentary is there's an economic um, reason behind it all, especially here in the Pacific Northwest where, you know, there's, there's tens, hundreds of millions of dollars to be made in recreation, outdoor sports. I think if people knew for a fact that there was an apex predator out there that was eight to 10 feet tall, uh, they might think twice about recreating and going out in the woods. And, and that's true across the country. I mean, there's a huge Bigfoot population in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, um, you know, all up and down the West Coast. Washington State is the number one state in the union for sightings. So I think that that's, that's part of it. I think the other part of it is an underlying fear because it really kind of screws up everything, uh, you know, from religion to politics to, to the environment. And I know Tobe's probably got something to add to that. Yeah, I mean, it, the the control that they would lose over the narrative telling the story of Sasquatch, if Sasquatch let them tell the story at all, that's the part of this that we kind of leave out, is that the phenomena, be it UFOs or poltergeists or cryptids, seem to be in control of the narrative. And somehow we, we think that we can change that. And even though we look through the annals of time and we see evidence that they've controlled the narrative for eons, um, I was naive to the money issue. And I think Brett's right. I think, you know, if humans can find a way to make a buck off of this, they'll start to release the data that they think they control in order to manipulate it to grow their wealth for nations. And I think that's probably why we're hearing about UFOs right now is that there's some money angle to this that we're overlooking. The giggle factor for Sasquatch is twice that of people that uh, are UFO witnesses now because the Pentagon hasn't backed Sasquatch. They're back right. the UFO narrative. However, it does open up a change, a changing of the guard. I mean, a lot of these Bigfooters, you know, unfortunately are in their late 70s and 80s. And um, there's a new Bigfooter, you know, that's at presentation. And these Bigfooters, a lot of them, 
have grown up thinking that there's a cross-contamination of phenomena between the supernatural and Sasquatch. So most conferences have a supernatural angle. You wouldn't have seen that in the 90s and the early 2000s really at all. But now it's a moneymaker to have all those people show up. But I think it's the right angle to have because the phenomena does present itself, especially with Bigfoot. If you're telling the true story, the history of Sasquatch, especially with these Sasquatch contactees or extended experiencers, it is a supernatural conversation, very similar to those who have had abduction experiences or UFO witnesses. And the reason that's true is because those types of phenomena present themselves while you're having a Sasquatch experience. And a lot of people that are in the, uh, you know, that go to UFO conferences have no idea how close both of these phenomena are. In fact, I just talked to a guy the other day that was uh, taken at a two hour conversation with this guy, even Brett knows him. And uh, he was regressed and on the aircraft or on the vehicle he was on in a brightly lit room, he was shown a hybrid species. And I know this is going down the rabbit hole of him um, and his offspring, which was a hybrid Sasquatch. Very serious guy, uh, financially secure, no reason to uh, publicize his name, but told me in private, this is the information he's getting back through hypnotic regression. So I hear these stories, they're just stories. And I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody here. Um, I, what I'm saying is you can have your own experience and uh, verify the facts by yourself if you want to take these steps in order to do it. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, you, you don't worry about going down the rabbit hole on this show, man. We're down <laughs> here. This is where we live. Right, We're, right, right, this right, is right. rabbit hole central. Yeah. Um, there's not, there in another show on the, on the internet that takes the rabbit hole so seriously, or I hope that explores it so carefully and without uh, prejudice and, uh, and so forth. But there is one prejudicial thing free dreamlanders is going to happen right now is you're going to look at some ads and I, I regret this and you do too, but you know, you don't subscribe. So look at the ads and uh, see if, they can't enthuse you into doing something like buy a copy of the uh, communion audio book or, or the new edition of communion. And you'll find a, something truly beautiful in your life. We'll be right back. Have you ever read communion or have you never read communion? It's out in a new edition very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me it's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. 
Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I worked with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Their website, BigfootDoc.com. That's BigfootDoc.com. We're talking about their remarkable Bigfoot documentary, A Flash of Beauty. And what, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, There are a lot of Bigfoot documentaries out there. What makes yours stand out? Why couldn't I stop watching it, for example, which is true. <laughs> I, you know, I think that, that we, we took a look at, you know, Jill Remensnyder, the, the writer and producer and myself, we took a look at, at pretty much everything that was out there. And, and the one consistency that we saw was there was a lot of real-time footage out in the woods. And, and we felt like this space, if you will, was missing really good, credible eyewitness accounts. And it was missing the human factor. It was missing the emotional factor. And so, you know, one of the things you're going to see in our documentary versus any other, you know, Bigfoot documentary is an interview with a Yale-educated psychologist and a certified hypnotherapist 
who both talk about how the brain works and how the brain deals with seeing something that it can't process. You know, I mean, a lot of these individuals, in, in fact, all of these individuals, their life has been completely changed by what they've seen, regardless of whether it's an ongoing experience or it was a 10 second experience, whether they saw something walk across the road in front of them, you know, 50 yards in front of them, or they have something going on like what Daryl Adams has had going on in the Owl Moon lab. These are people that have been, uh, their whole foundation of reality has been shook and it's been shaken. And, you know, Rich Germeau is a great example of that. He was a law enforcement officer. He was on duty. He saw one walk across the road near a crowded beach in the middle of daylight, you know, broad daylight in summer. And, you know, he talks about, he says, he says, I'm looking at something that doesn't exist. And I know what it is, but I know it doesn't exist. How do we deal with that? How do, how do humans psychologically deal with that? So we, we get into that side of things. And the other thing, too, is that we want to humanize Bigfoot as well, because these are extremely intelligent beings. Um, and they have some talents that we're going to get into in the second chapter of A Flash of Beauty that are just absolutely mind-boggling. Um, so, you know, we want, to, we want to try and figure out what they have to offer. Um, do they have something to offer? What can we learn from them? What can they learn from us? Uh, so on and so forth. So there is a lot, I feel, in this film that really kind of separates us from anything else that's ever been out there before. One thing I noticed in the documentary that kind of surprised me, uh, I, I think of this as, I mean, we think people like sort of on the outside looking in, think of Bigfoot as sort of, you know, they look a certain way, uh, they're very elusive, uh, they're, but it turns out there are a lot of different forms. And I'm not talking about, you know, orbs and all of the, all of the paranormal phenomena that come with them but different forms of Bigfoot. Could one of you talk about a little bit about that? I was quite amazed. Well, from the Native American First Nation side, of course, that's probably the first place to start. That's where I started. And growing up here in the Pacific Northwest, you kind of have to start there. And there are, there are many names, uh, many different versions, but uh you know, First Nations people all have a very generalized idea of Sasquatch that um, you know, they, they all generally look the same. However, they may react to what they see differently based upon their own tribal history. And the real fascinating part of the story is how these tribes share these stories through their oral, tra oral tradition. Um, author Henry Franzoni gets into that a little bit in the documentary where he talks about how the longhouses basically have a copyright to their story of Sasquatch that dare not lead the tribe to other tribes. They kind of own the copyright through that longhouse. So very fascinating trying to get those stories out of them regarding uh, individual Sasquatch phenomena. But, you know, for each Sasquatch idea is, is a separate name, like uh, Zonaqua or Tonaqua from the north near Vancouver, Canada. Down here near the Salish, we have uh, Sasquatch. I just got a new name the other day from uh, near the uh, Olympic forest of Titi, which is what the uh, Quileute tribe calls them. So you have all these different names, um, different reactions to Sasquatch. Then, and of course, you have Sasquatch themselves changing uh, varieties geographically all across the world, including the Yeti. 
um, and the Almas and the Russian version of Sasquatch and the Malaysian version of Sasquatch and of course our own Sasquatch and then the skunk ape of Florida. So, you know, it's very interesting watching again, all these conferences happen around the wor world where they have variations of celebrating their version of Sasquatch, but pretty much we're talking about the same being. Um, the first really serious explorer of this was Tom Slick uh, from San Antonio, who happened to be a family friend. And so I was into this as a boy when Mr. Slick went off to, wow. to, to bet you believe every single member of his social circle was absolutely riveted by the, what might happen. And uh, of course he came back empty handed, but he never thought he, he never thought so. He, 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 he thought that there had been more there than they had been able to, See, and his his uh, niece uh, Kathy Cook, uh, still one of my dearest friends. I mean, the families, San Antonio families, are very close, and uh, uh, went and and re re went down his footsteps all the way the, the whole expedition a few years ago, and didn't come across anything either. But still came back with that same eerie feeling. She said to me, Whitley. I felt watched. I felt watched and I kept thinking to myself, I mean, she wasn't alone. She had a lot of Sherpas and so forth with her. Uh, and I kept thinking to myself, what is really going on here? Could they, and I thought, I said to her, I wonder if they could perhaps at times be invisible. And I wonder if there's any of that in the in the lore that you guys came across. Could they be like, you know, we had the aliens come into our house very often, and, you know, they were invisible. Uh, the cats could see them. And, you know, the cats would watch something walking around the house, and, you know, we could hear faint creaks on the floor, you know, things, but we couldn't see anything. So talk to that. Is this, is this a possibility? You want that, Brett? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it it, it is a possibility. It is reality. Um, we've seen video of them, you know, cloaking and invisible. There's different phases of it, if you will. Um, they, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, if it's a biological thing or if it's um, has to do with the way that they're manipulating their, um, their energy field or whatnot. We are, we are going to, really give a great explanation to how they might do it in the sequel. So stay tuned for that. This is, it's cutting edge theory um, that you're not going to want to miss for the sequel, but it's, it's definitely happening, happening. They're also able to morph. We have a bunch of witnesses that have seen them morph into all kinds of different things. Anything from a squirrel. I heard a squirrel the other day to balls of light, like ball lightning, to or orbs, if you will, to tree stumps. Uh, we've had witnesses that have watched them walk into a tree. We've heard that they use the tree trunks to recharge, if you will. Um, the biggest question is, is that you know why do they become invisible and and go back to flesh and blood? You know, um, it seems to me like they could be invisible the entire time if they wanted to. So does that mean that they're trying to show themselves to us on purpose? So, yeah, it raises quite a bit of questions. 
there seems to be a, a supernatural issue to this that uh, is also spiritual in nature. And, you know, in the book, I call Bigfoot a land spirit. And there's a reason for that. They kind of call themselves a land spirit, I believe. Um, and so the spiritual nature of what Bigfoot is, um, is ignored, of course, by the flesh and blood community. Although privately, when you have an adult beverage with them and it's 11 o'clock at night and no one's around, they start talking about the spiritual nature of Sasquatch and um, these strange stories that Brett just related, including cloaking. I mean, there's nothing else in nature that I know of that is, you know, a hybrid of primate and human that can do what Bigfoot can do. That includes disappearing tracks that suddenly end in the middle of a snowdrift. That includes run up to someone in broad daylight and blow in their face. That includes walking up to their tent in the middle of the day and leaving extraordinary gifts on top of their boots. Um, in my case, picking up a tent and moving it 49 feet and moving it uh, on top of a tree. All these things uh, are- You weren't in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> not, <laughs> not that time. But um, all these extraordinary claims uh, can be yours to have as your own personal adventure if you want to go out and experience this yourself. And I think there's a way to do that. Um, I always tell people to follow the same trail I did with author Henry Franzoni. And um, I really plug this guy because he is a pioneer that's overlooked. I think he likes it that way. But he told me early on, he says, if you want to experience a phenomena, go to the scary place names. You can find them on Google Earth. They're all over the world. And North America is no different. And the crazier sounding the place name in a remote area like Spirit Lake or Demon Mountain or Ghost Ridge. Those are Bigfoot hotspots. And that's where you put your tent for a week and you sit there and wait. And that's how I got to know the phenomenon was real. Wow. That's really fascinating and totally impressive. We're going to take a brief break for Free Dreamlanders. Uh, we are going to come back and I want to know something about those gifts that's a fascinating idea that they give gifts. What are the gifts? What's that like? What's that all about? We'll be right back for free Dreamlanders subscribers. You're going to hear the answer right now. I've had these experiences that have really affected me and I talk to grown men who will stand there and cry over what they've seen they won't go back in the woods to hunt everybody I've, I've ever talked to witnesses it changes them somehow because you're seeing something that isn't supposed to be there I'm looking down there and there's like these three very dark very large figures it took less than a second for me to realize what I was looking at were not people at all. There was a, um, a wildlife biologist that works here in Oregon that uh, confided in me in a private conversation. He told me very plainly he knows that the Bigfoot are real. And he said the reason that things are the way they are is because the Bigfoot are too intelligent and elusive. There's lots of elusive animals, but not this intelligent. He says you can't count them, you can't track them, you can't find them. 
There's a family of Bigfoot that has lived for years at the county dump. When the lights go out and the gate is locked and there's no one there at the dump, the Bigfoot come in every night and there's a smorgasbord there because they're the only animals that can get into the pit and back out. If you want to ignore the thousands of reports that are out there, you can do that. But does that mean everybody's lying? Everybody's misconceived? Everybody's screwed up? What does that mean about all these people that are saying this all over the world, all over the United States, all over the Pacific Northwest now, people are saying they see these things? Open up your minds because they're out there. A lot of people cannot handle that psychologically, mentally, or emotionally because it challenges everything that they've been taught. And the belief system of the human is actually very, very rock solid if a human only wants to believe one sliver of reality. Stuff was just starting to happen, just the paranormal stuff. Then the Bigfoot stuff just went nuts. You know, I kind of pulled Daryl aside and I said, listen, this may get weird really quick. Just so you know, I'm okay with that. I think that's supposed to happen. I saw the thing take off running, and it doesn't run like a man or an animal, really. It's just, it's hard to explain because it's so fast, but it almost looks like it just mm -hmm. skips a beat when it runs, and like airborne, so fast. I can't explain it, it's just pff, gone. There's a stone that he actually gave me in the shape of his foot, actually, which is kind of cool. They can drive you mad. I mean, you're experiencing things that a psychotic person experiences. Voices in your head and things that aren't there. These things can drive a person crazy. Being one of the fortunate few to have actually witnessed these amazing creatures, I assure you they are out there, and who knows what else might be out there. You run into them and you get this flash of beauty and they are gone. We're back. We're talking to Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Their website, BigfootDoc.com. More importantly, their document, their documentary, A Flash of Beauty. Guys, when can people see this? So A Flash of Beauty is available on Amazon. It's available on um, Google Play, Voodoo, iTunes. You can rent it on YouTube or Vimeo. Um, and I think you can get it on the Microsoft Store as well. Wow. So there's a lot of places. And it's a rental, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a rental or you can purchase it. We've had many people that have purchased it. And I, I can't tell you how many people have told us they've watched it three or four times um, in one day. So there's a lot. There's it's, a lot it's, of it's hypnotic. It's a wonderful documentary. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I promised my listeners before the free dreamlanders left the air. And so the subscribers are waiting right now. What about gifts that you told me about gifts? And I was floored by that. What kind of gifts do they give? In the case of what happened with uh, 
where I live, this extraordinary place on the map called the Al Moon Lab and the property owners, the Adams family. Uh, they invited me to live there and take uh, the paranormal Jane Goodall approach and, and research the, their facility and interact with their property. I call it a facility. It wasn't a facility. It was about five acres in the middle of the woods. And um, it began with small sounds, to be honest. It began with an impression of knees that we cast. And we brought these knees down and had them examined as being something plus or minus 1,400 pounds from a human, which makes no sense. So um, these knee impressions seemed to initiate the sounds. And the sounds were very simple. They were tapping sounds or they were wood hitting wood sounds. And it seemed to be coming from a specific spot on the property. So after I moved in, things seemed to amp up. And so what do we mean by gifts? Well, most of these gifts are gifts of significance. These are gifts that mean something to the person they're given to. So uh, that could be as simple as, in one of the cases where I was having cell phone trouble, a few days after my cell phone broke down, it was a public conversation that we're having on the property about my cell phone. Um, a cell phone was given to me and placed under the oar of my boat. Now these gifts are all the same. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, let's roll back here. Sure. A cell phone was, what kind of a cell phone? Sure. Uh, these, these are old gifts. They almost, in this case, this was about a 10 year old sidekick phone that you would have got in the mid nineties to early two thousands. The kind that slide up. With wow. That. I mean, uh, I'm saying, wow. I mean, this is, this is an amazing thing. It's not, I mean, because you, if you'd said, well, it was an uh, iPhone you know, right. brand new iPhone or something. I would right, have right. thought, oh, somebody did that. Sure. But not that. It's, it gave you an old phone that they had maybe picked up somewhere and they kept and just had. Well, yeah. I mean, you've seen the documentary and we're not spoiling it by saying, you know, there's a footage even in the trailer of Sasquatch going in, into the town dump and being seen leaving in and out of this public dump. Well, these gifts have all the you know patina of them as something that has been found and aged like in a dump or an old campsite. And there's so many uh, examples of this, of uh, things that either the witness has just talked about or needed or thought of that they suddenly unexpectedly get sometimes inside their house. Uh, one of those uh, moments happened when a large boulder was sitting in the middle of the Persian rug uh, after the property owners went out for the evening uh, just to kind of let them know that they can come inside as well. So what is this phenomena that can do that? I, well, I don't believe it's just Bigfoot. Although I believe there's extraordinary things they can do. My take is that when you invite or initiate the phenomena, especially when you start to exchange gifts and food, um, that is an invitation for other things to come around and there's this revolving door of phenomena, and it can present itself in any manner of ways, from Bigfoot to UFO experiences to ghosts and everything in between. So those are the kind of the beginning gifts that um, I was familiar with. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, I'm really sort of bowled over by it. I... Uh, uh, because it's not something. And when I watched the documentary, I thought to myself, I made a note, gifts with two, two lines under it. But I, it's just a wild 
story. But I would like to now get back to these different shape-shifting phenomena and so forth and ask a kind of a weird off-the-wall question that I assure you no other podcaster will ask you. That, uh, And it's this. One of the Close Encounter witnesses, Betty Andreessen, repeated some words in what she thought was a star language but it, when she was under hypnosis. But I recognized it as a form of Gaelic, and I had it translated. And the translation is, children of the northern peoples, you wander in eternal darkness. And when I look at the world around us, at the artifacts from the ancient world, like this strange uh, stonework in in South America or the gigantic platform at uh, in, in Baalbek in, in uh, the Middle East, or for that matter, the pyramids themselves. I think to myself, somebody once knew a lot more about this world than we do. Somebody could do things we can't do. And there's no way you can convince me of anything else because this is true. Now, you tell me about all of these remarkable things that they can do with themselves. They don't need machines. I mean, they are beyond. They're, they're, they're not pre-technological at all. They're post-technological. Have we fallen somehow? Are we somehow the lesser species? Are they actually a more advanced species than us? Either one of you can chime Go in. Go ahead, Brett. Obviously, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not making rules here. I know. I know. I know. Tob's got some things to say too, so I'll be brief. But um, yes, absolutely, Whitley. Absolutely, to answer your question, and I have heard from some folks that have had mind speak interactions with these beings that they have told them, they've told the humans that they're disappointed in the humans because we are materialistic. We're consumers. We are driven by money. We've completely lost touch with the world. And this is obvious in, in, in how we're destroying the planet right now, in my opinion, because that's, that's a greed factor. We're not, and we're still not paying attention um, you know, this is happening right now, right outside my house right now. It's 100 degrees in Portland, Oregon, which is very rare. So, um, you know, they have voiced this to many, many people through MindSpeak. And I think you're exactly right when you say post-technological. They are so far advanced that they are able to do anything at any time that they want to, including visiting other dimensions. And I'll let Tobe take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um you know we're trying to copy what they can do with nature they're so at one with nature and i don't want to come off as you know new agey uh you know i in fact oftentimes that point of view is hard for me to stomach but there is something so new agey about bigfoot they are one with the land around them and technology is like putting a sliver in the hand. They sense it, they feel it a mile away. They seem to know a, the human's intention, but then when you have technology, uh, they can utilize that technology at their own will 
by shutting it off or manipulating it or embedding it with a message. There's examples of them utilizing a cell phone to embed video with no timestamp or date to hijack it and utilize encoded messages, which are incredible examples of possibly what they can do. But yet I don't think this is just Bigfoot doing this. I think they have help from others when they're able to do this. So, you know, I just think about humanity. How could we exploit that ourselves and use and weaponize Sasquatch? I think that's a, that may be an incredible statement to make, but I'm certain that people in dark places have thought that very same thought because they can pinpoint a person in a crowd and they can bring them to their knees. You know, that sounds like the riot LRAD gear where they point a low frequency device and separate a crowd. Um, where they get that technology? Is that through back engineering? But to get back to your point, um, they don't need technology because th- we're handicapped by it. Uh, that's something that they can do on their own. There's certainly scripture about that uh, where they talk, you know, Christ talks to the disciples and tells them, you know, walking on water is no big deal. You could do that too, if you had people of faith. And so there's a religious component to this as well. And we so lost touch with that. And uh, there seems to be ways to access them through altering our consciousness through music or through substances or through meditation, and especially drumming. And uh, that seems to bring on our ability to access them in between these worlds where they can help us remember these facts. But to be honest, I haven't moved into that territory because I'm, I don't know if I'm fully ready. Uh, you know, as close as I've come to getting close to Bigfoot, uh, I haven't taken the soul journey yet of it. Have you ever read communion or have you never read communion? It's out in a new edition very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. 
unknowncountry.com. There's no place like it in the world. All right, we have a, a situation here where it may be that we are the ones who have kind of fallen off the wagon here, that we are actually dealing with reality in a much more primitive way than Bigfoot is. And, you know, one of the things, one of the visitors, I mean, God knows when this happened. I wish I could give you exact details, folks. I asked, what is happening to mankind? Because we're obviously in terrible trouble. Uh, there's, I mean, And I was going to ask you about fires and Bigfoot in a minute. I'll do that. The answer is, you will return to the forest, which was pretty awesome. And I thought to myself, will there be a forest to return to? And that gets me to this question. What about all of these forest fires? A lot of them are taking place in Bigfoot country. What does that mean, guys? That's a great question. Um, We interviewed a psychic uh, who was going to be in the first film. And uh, this individual, Tara, she has had contact with uh, the Bigfoot in um, in the central Oregon region. And... I asked her to ask them, what do they do, you know, with forest fires? The state of Oregon was an inferno in September of 2020. It was the worst forest fires we've had in our history. I mean, we lost probably 2 million acres of forest land. And, you know, we had just started doing the documentary at that point. We were about two months into it. And that was all that occupied our minds was, if there's if these guys are out there, what are they doing in these infernos and these these forest fires? And um, Tara's response was that they're okay, they're able to avoid them, they're they're able to leave them, and so and that's all I got from her. That's all she got from them. Um, Tobe might have some more insight on that, but but that's that's what I've heard. In September of 2020, I attempted to go back to the Al Moon Lab on my own and do a solo overnight. The access road was closed by a local timber company. So I went south uh, near an area that I'd known previous, about an hour away, and I got into uh, another situation where the road was closed, and I could actually see the fire billowing down the mountain towards the creek. But I could still camp there, so I put my tent there like a crazy person, and just, um, I actually think it's quite a beautiful smell, to be honest. And so I sat there as the fire kind of came down through the acreage and the smoke got a little heavier through the evening. And as soon as I got out my hammock, I uh, was in the back of my Subaru and I didn't have my recorder out yet. And out of those smoky clouds, I heard, in my opinion, without a doubt, a Sasquatch singing. And it was a female voice. It lasted for about seven seconds. It was less than 50 yards away. And, um, you know, it was very reminiscent to Ron Moorhead Sierra sounds, except it was female and it was very sing-songy. It didn't sound scared to me. It didn't sound as though it was trying to warn me or in pain or anything like that. I know that's just a small example. However, every human I know was running down that mountain, including the animals. So I think they're able to access 
different uh, modes of transportation, they don't seem to worry about the things that we worry about, including uh, people trying to kill them. Um, so not quite sure what to think about Bigfoot in that respect, but I do know what I heard, and I think that was a, a sing-songy female Bigfoot in the midst of a wildfire. Wow. And you have to think that, you know, but if they, you know, I, my listeners know that I have had a lot of experience moving back and forth between universes. I'm, 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 I have to admit I'm a fairly unusual guy. I can't, I can't get away from that. And uh, there is another reality right here. The last time I was engaged with it was uh, yesterday afternoon. And I can't walk into it usually. I can't go into it. I have done that a couple of times. But I can't stay when I go. And uh, I, I can see into it quite easily. And it's not like this. It's... It's it's an earthly reality, but it is it's 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 a world in which things like the ice age have, hasn't ended. In other words, whatever went wrong here didn't go wrong there, and I think that's where they're coming from. I think that's where their home is, and they come here possibly to help us, maybe. But what about the disappearances? Let's talk about that. Is there anything to the concept that Bigfoot disappears people. And folks, we're gonna, for the, in the lat, latter part of the show, the third half hour, we're going to go very deeply into the next, we're going to tease, if you will, the next part of this documentary, because we're going to go much more deeply into this. But at the same time, this documentary, watching this is a huge eye-opener, because it it isn't like, you know, the ones, you see the ones on uh, various channels and, the, you know, they're always kind of fuzzy Bigfoot footage that somebody got. And this is people telling their stories face to face with you. And it changes your mind. It changes you in profound ways. But what about this possibility that they move back and forth? Oh, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going on a little bit here. I guess I'm too excited about this. This is such a wonderful, wonderful experience to talk to you guys. Uh, what about the disappearances? Is, is there something connected there? That's a great question, Whitley. And my response is, I don't know. I personally don't know. I think there is a connection. I think um, I don't know if it's a nefarious connection. I don't know if if people have been shown paradise and they've chosen not to return. It's like Roy Neary in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, he gets on the UFO and he takes off and, and that's that, you know, that whatever it is that's on the other side might be so wonderful that, that, that folks might see it as a new lease on life. Who knows? Um, I do know that there are some strange and mysterious circumstances out there that uh, really are really big head scratchers. You know, David Pilates covers all this uh, to a certain extent. Now he doesn't allege that it's Bigfoot, but David Pilates is a former Bigfoot researcher, so there could be a right. connection. Well, there there are mysterious disappearances for sure. Toby, I'm so, Toby, sure. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, I was going to agree with that fact, but there is this type of humanity to where we have to allow for evil, and I think that uh, 
there probably are evil Bigfoot, just like there seems to be John Wayne Gacy's and Ted Bundy types. There are psychopaths. And I've heard from Sasquatch contactees that uh, there indeed are. And they do horrible things to not only humans, but animals. Um, and so we need to allow for that conversation. A lot of times at these conferences, they do not allow for there to be any negativity towards the forest people. I think that's a mistake because we need to allow for that with humanity. And there is this humanity to Bigfoot, an uncomfortable amount of humanity with them. There seems to be language, culture, expressions of humanity, giving. And I think we need to allow for bad behavior. We had small examples of that at the property, but we were able to basically have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the trees and change the direction of the phenomenon. In this case, in this case, it was property damage. However, we did have animal mutilations and, and kills as well, but that seemed to be more of um, us kind of a misunderstanding or a bad sense of humor, perhaps on their, on their <laughs> bad end. sense of humor. <laughs> so I have to remember that. <laughs> right. I, I I don't know how else to uh, put it. It's a little bit of a long story, but when it comes to missing people, it's a whole different story. We're talking about your neighbors that suddenly vanish in Bigfoot hotspots. And that's what the likes of Pilates is talking about. He was a previous Bigfoot researcher who suddenly started looking into missing people because they were missing in hotspots areas of Bigfoot. And um, that's a fact. And that's something that... Uh, you know, we need to be able to talk about at length. Why would that be? Is Sasquatch fully responsible for those disappearances? I don't think so. I think other entities and beings might be placing blame on the more popular, you know, cryptological creature and kind of stepping back, you know, in the, in the, in the perp line and saying, yeah, of course, <laughs> blame it on him. But um, yeah, strange stories for sure. Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger, BigfootDoc.com. You can rent it. You can buy it. It is called Flash of Beauty. You'll find it on Amazon, all kinds of different places. It is really worth your time, folks. It, this is serious stuff. This is beautiful stuff. The Flash of Beauty is not only this new concept and new vision of Bigfoot, and not, not a sweet vision. This is not a new age film. Don't get me wrong there. Uh, but it's also beautifully done. And Free Dreamlanders, I would like to thank you as always for being with us and urge you as always to subscribe. Subscribers, uh, Toby's talked a little bit about a rabbit hole in this show. Well, I've got the rabbit hatch to that rabbit hole wide open. And when we come back, we're going deep. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Strieber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.